You're listening to The Blind Stealing the Blinds, a podcast by students of the game for students of the game. Join Dell and BJ in conversations about poker theory and bridging the gap between theory and application. We're all in this together. This week's topic, ethics in poker. Hey, Dell, how's it going this week? Other than being sleep deprived, pretty good. <laughs> no, it's going great. I took in, uh, I bragged yesterday that I had been crushing the micro stakes for, I think I said it was about 26 big blinds per hour. So last night I put in another thousand hands and by the end of that thousand hands, well, now I'm crushing them for about 60 big blinds per 100. 60, not, not per Six hour, zero. per 100. So yeah, it's going good. I'm crushing them right now. Wow. I There's obviously at that rate, there's a lot of positive variance going on, but I'm proud of myself at the moment because I'm maximizing, you know, I'm maximizing the positive variance and I'm limiting the uh, negative variance at the moment, which is uh, what we need to do in order to succeed at poker. That's amazing news. I have to ask this because you mentioned it's not just all positive variance, but a couple of weeks ago, you recorded an episode with your wife and you mentioned that she had been working with you to overcome some mental blocks you had concerning calling river bets light, losing a lot of money on the river. And has that actually borne out? I mean, is this a result of those breakthroughs? Absolutely. Actually, I want to clarify that a little bit. The work with my wife was really about processing trauma from being bullied as a child and how that plays out on the table, how that plays out in poker, where I tend to, when somebody says, hey, I've got a big hand, instead of listening to them, I I say, fuck you, I have a hand and I'm not going to let you push me off of it. And the problem with that is, is that that's not a good reaction. There there are times to uh, stand up for yourself in life. In lower stakes against big bets on the river, this is not a profitable time to stand up for yourself. You're better off waiting for another time to do it. So yeah, it's absolutely got to do with that. It, it definitely helps to limit those the negative variants. So what's happening is that that has played out in a tremendous month plus of poker, you know. I'm I'm really enjoying it. I haven't had much chance to enjoy this. So this is great. And I'm going to have more down swings, you know, but I'm going to enjoy this while I've got it. Well, I'm glad to hear it. That is excellent news. And we are joined this week with Jordan Sweet. He's been on the podcast before. No introduction needed. You know him. You love him. Him being on the show tends to be our highest listened to episodes. So take that as it is. Jordan, what's going on with you? Yeah, I'm I'm pretty good. Happy New Year to both of you. Uh, I, yeah, I've been I've been doing all right. Uh, I was a little sick, and the baby was sick, uh, which I felt terrible. Obviously, it's like, did I get her sick? Which then is is ridiculous. But her mom is great. Like her mom, I don't know how she always knows like what what the baby needs. Can't say enough about like how good of a mom she is, but I felt so terrible. Little, little tiny baby coughing. Well, kids are Petri dishes. I mean, they get sick just by existing. It's kind of like their job in life is to eat, poop, and get sick because they're building that immune system. So it's, it's not your fault. I mean, maybe it is, but I'm saying it's not your fault to make you feel better. Yeah. That's why my wife and I decided not to have kids. Um, our sons are very upset about it. Um, let's let's introduce this topic. So that's actually a pretty good segue because that is a questionable thing to say. And we talk about ethics in poker. What's the difference between ethics and morality? What is right? What is wrong? What is good? What is bad for the game? And we're going to just have a conversation about some of the things that we see at the table, some things that we do at the table, things that kind of annoy us, things that probably shouldn't annoy us. I have an example for myself. 
And I'm not really sure if there are going to be any tools or solutions at the end of this episode. It's really just kind of an understanding of what ethics is in poker, what it looks like, and how you can make better decisions at the game so that it's better for the game and better for all of those around us. Because let's face it, we shouldn't be jerks at the table. So I'll lead it off with that. I know Dell and Jordan, you have some pretty strong opinions on this topic. Ethics is something that everyone can agree on in the group as a whole. Morality being like your personal point of view. So we can sit down as a group of poker players and say ethically, like it's not right to do this one thing. And then there's other topics where you could say like, morally, I don't want to be involved in that situation, but other people might not care or whatever. Um, and, you know, just like normal situations that you that you run into on the table. Um, and so I, I don't know if Dell would like to just jump right into one of them or if you had something to, to add just to kind of clarify the difference between the two or the terms. Yeah, because I, I was the one that said ethics is known that people know ethics. They know what's right or wrong and it's not personal morality. But I think that's actually inaccurate because somebody cannot know what is ethically right. A good argument for that is that I have people in my lives that are mentally ill and they can't comprehend the ethics of any given situation. They only comprehend their feelings within that situation. So if their feelings are that it's unfair, it doesn't matter how fair it might appear to everybody else. To them, it's unfair and, and the ethics don't apply. So I think that might not have been the right way to define it. I, I would say that a better way of putting it is if something is ethical, it's good for the whole. It benefits everybody involved. When I say that, it may not benefit an individual in that moment. Like the person who the dealer says, hey, that's a string bet. And maybe the guy who wanted that person to go ahead and throw that extra money in is hurt in that moment. But overall, for the game and, and going forward, something that's ethical would be beneficial to everybody. Something that's ethical would be the right thing to do, even if it was an inconvenience to a single person in that moment. Whereas morals are those things that are ingrained in us from, you know, whether it be a Judeo-Christian ethic or any particular religious ethic, or perhaps for those that aren't religious, that it could just be what is defined by a person's upbringing from their parents. Maybe it wasn't a religious background, but maybe it was, this is what we believe to be good for people, and, and they ingrain that in you. Ethics, they can be inconvenient, but that doesn't mean they're not still beneficial in the long run. Yeah, I think the biggest way that ethics comes to play at the poker table is how we conduct ourselves. And there's generally an agreed upon set of rules, and even etiquette, you could even say etiquette, is a culture, norms, mores surrounding poker. Both the written rules of poker and the norms surrounding it are rules that everyone agrees upon. And when we take it upon ourselves to act in, an, in a way that circumvents and underhands those rules for our own personal gain, that's unethical. So if we are cheating, if we are using our phone to figure out odd calculations or, or using some sort of tools to get an unfair advantage over our competitors, that's unethical. We are going against the social norms of the game and going against, frankly, the rules of the game. Now, we can make, we can have discussions, like we've said, about string bets, which I think is something that, wait, I just hit the mic. I got to mess that. We can talk about string bets, which is an example that I know both of you have opinions on. 
Okay, well, we all know what a string bet is, right? It's when you, when a person takes two actions or two motions, I guess, to put a bet out. So in most places, the first forward motion or grouping of chips like is going to be the bet. You can't intend to bet 40 and then put out like 25, come back at another 15 and then and put out the 15. The, the problem I have is everyone that I play, the level that I play, maybe the games that I play, like everyone knows what a string bet is. And there's some games that are just kind of, very uh people are outgoing and the game's very active and someone might slip up and they they mean to put like an extra couple dollars in there you grab a stack and you realize it's only 90 and not 100 and you mean to put like the 100 out there in in a lot of those cases what i find is the rule just inhibits like that person from doing what what everyone kind of knew what they were doing and sometimes it feels to me like poker has become this like like nfl and we need a a slow-mo replay camera to see like did they make two motions or not? I mean, there's some things that are very obvious and very clear and some things that are just like, you'd need, you'd need like a slow motion camera to see whether or not it was it was a second between his right hand and his left hand coming forward. So Jordan, if I understand you correctly, it's really the intention behind the bet and not the actual physicality of placing the bet. It's not like they're angle shooting. And by the way, some of our listeners may not know what angle shooting is. So does one of you have a good definition of angle shooting? Sure. So um, go ahead, Dal. I think you, you probably have a better actual definition. Well, I it's really simple, okay? If you are doing something that may be technically legal, <laughs> you know, might technically follow the rules of the game, but is really, truly underhanded, it's morally questionable, then, then you're angle shooting. And, and you know, it's, and a good example of that is we have a friend who witnessed us at a game where a person went all in. His opponent threw a chip in, which we all know is call, right? And when the other person turned over the winning hand, they picked up their chips and left because technically the money's not in the pot. It's still in front of them. And the casino is not going to do anything about it. They're going to take and tell them that they can't come back. But that throwing in the chip and not saying call and not being willing to accept that that's a call. That's a type of angle shoot, you know, or if you're trying to pretend to throw those cards into the muck, but you're only halfway there and the other person throws out that call chip and then you turn your cards over, those kind of things, they're not good for the game. And those are kind of angle shooting. There, there are different ways to look at it, but. I got a, I got a good example uh, from a long time ago in the room in uh, Florida that I used to play at the big chips all the chips play I guess the MGM Detroit like all the chips play as well there's a a unique rule that a lot of people don't know when you when you say a a chip uh, if you do not provide like the denomination it's the lowest available value that then becomes the bet so in a two five game if you throw out a chip and say five if you don't say 500 the bet is five dollars so you can be sitting at a two five game with like 3,000 effective and throw out a purple $500 chip on the river and say five. And if the person goes in the tank, it's like, great, I might get a fold out of this. If the person snap calls, you're like, oh, it was $5. And like, you're completely legal to say it's $5. That is an angle for sure, because you know what you're doing. Everyone knows what you're doing, but like, you could get away with that. But with poker, like everything works the first time. You can do everything you do, like every kind of trick you got, it works the first time. And that's it. If you ever tried that stuff again, people are going to be like, well, do you mean five or you mean 500 before they call? So the same thing with your friend there, like when he puts in the one chip, like everyone now knows when they play with this person in the future, like make him put his chips in the middle before you go. The, 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 those things are fairly obvious and they're definitely bad for the game. 
some things that I take issue with though are like I might not define the angle in in the same way as being like nefarious or devious. It's just if we're playing in a game where everyone is aware of the rule, I feel like we can maybe just elevate everyone a little bit higher. Like I just feel like a lot of times what we see with the string bets is like people making mistakes and almost like getting punished for it or berated. But here's the problem with with your thought process, okay? Like and when I say that, it's kind of hard to say that because you're my coach, I'm not yours. But there's a there's a flaw in your thought process here. It's normally you telling me I'm the one with the flaw. The, the flaw in the thought process is we cannot truly know somebody else's intention. That's why society has rules. We cannot truly know that it was an accident. We can believe it was an accident. We can be pretty sure it was an accident. We can't know. And, and you know, so the notion there that everything works once, it's really not true. It, it can work multiple times because people have done it multiple times. And there could be somebody new at the table that day or somebody that's never experienced that person do that. And the dealer can't know that everybody's at the same level. They change, they're, they're going to change dealers every 30 minutes. Could be a new dealer that day. All the dealers have to follow the same rules. In my opinion is that I'm paying rake to get a good, clean, fair game. I'm getting paying rake for that dealer to be there to manage that game. That's the only reason I'm willing to pay rake for me. Now, other people may have a difference of opinion. That's fine. But for me, I want that dealer to make everybody at that table follow the rules, even if it's as something as simple as a string bet. Because whether I believe that there can be an angle shoot through a string bet, apparently somebody did it at some point because they made the rules. I want that. I want it to be done. And they cannot interpret somebody's intent. So I want to I want to step in here because I hear something from both of you that I think is a really good point combined. Jordan had mentioned berating. And Dell, you're talking about players that may not know the rules. Legitimately, they may not know the rules. This might be their first time sitting in a casino. They do a string bet or they do something that goes against the culture or the norms of the table. They violate the rules and they just don't know. I am completely on board with educating my opponents when it comes to how to play the game mechanically. I don't want to educate my players when it comes to their bad strategy. I don't want to tell them why their play was dumb. I just want to keep them doing the dumb thing. But in terms of how to play the game, I think it's good for the game. And I think berating players for making mistakes is bad for the game. It is so much better for us and the game. And Dell, you had mentioned we have so many people who don't play poker that we want the game to grow. And if we berate these people, if we berate these players, their first, second, third time at the casino, they might not ever come back. And we want them to come back, not because they're fish and they're unschooled and they don't know anything. Yeah, we will profit from them in the short term, maybe even the long term. But it's better for the game to grow if we can foster this culture of bringing people up and not tearing people down. It's interesting because when we start thinking about ethical behavior at the table, is is speech play ethical? Absolutely. It's part of the game. As members of Beyond Tells, all three of us, I know, use speech play when we're playing. I've used it against you. You use it against me. It's an important part of the game. So a step above, you know, speech play is needling ethical. Well, I, I think that it can be. I think that if I take in shove with seven deuce off and you fold and I get to show you that seven deuce off, I get to needle you a little bit about it. We're French. If I'm having a friendly game and people, as long as it stays within the confines of friendly needling, 
yeah, I still think that's fine. I still think that's good for the game. There are people who needle people to get them to make mistakes. I don't think that's unethical. I don't. I mean, it's part of the game. The problem is, is there comes a point where it stops being needling and it starts being bullying. This is bad for the game, period. And it's also, it's just unethical. It's unethical to do that at a table. It's unethical to berate somebody who's new because it's just another form of bullying. And part of my problem with it all is this, okay? The needling may not be unethical, but is it good for the game? You know, as a whole, we need new players to join this game in order for this game to continue to be around, to continue to grow. One of the, the largest demographics of people who don't play poker are women. Every single poll that's been done on this, the answer's always been the same. A lot of women are uncomfortable sitting down at a poker table because of the aggression they experience at that poker table through comments being made, feeling like they're targeted, all that stuff. So if we want more women to play the game, we can't be bullying. We can't be, maybe, you know, I, everybody's going to have to make personal choice on that needle. But like I said, is it really unethical? No, it's part of the game. But certainly we don't want to be bullying people. We don't want to be bullying new players. Um, I'm a little bit different than you. I'm more than willing to share a little basic strategy with a new player because quite frankly, I, I want them to come back. I don't want them going broke in deciding that it's just a game of luck and they don't want to play it. You know, I want them coming back. I want them to fall in love with the game. I want the game to grow. I hear you. I, that's a great point. But I feel like uh, when it's such a, a broad sweeping general statement is when I tend to disagree. Because like, I would say, obviously and definitely, like berating new players and saying anything like misogynistic to, towards a woman at the table is just is ridiculous. But when I consider like, coming up in the game, kind of cutting my teeth, so to speak, on like New York underground games, that's kind of just what it was. It's a very gritty, difficult game to, to win at. It's almost standard to like trash talk. But when I'm playing in, in these underground games, it's almost like everyone there is, is trying to win. They're not at like a one-two casino game where people are almost trying to get lucky. So I feel like it's important to make a distinction between the type of game. And I would 100% agree that if you're at a, a, a friendly table with like newer players in a casino, you really shouldn't be berating or trash talking people. But if we're playing street ball, like pickup basketball, uh, I think uh, people would agree. Like it's just part of the game. If I if I sink a three pointer or if I like slam dunk and like I jump over you or whatever it is, me and BJ are not the best like sport <laughs> analogists. But if I if I do something really good in that game. I'm allowed to like trash talk and showboat. Like obviously people will say, oh, okay, well, that's not great to showboat whatever you're a jerk. But it, it's almost like because I physically did it that I'm allowed to take credit for it. But in poker, it's like, oh, there's this element of luck. You can't take credit for anything you do. I put a lot of work in studying this game and I, I took a stand. I made a move, whether it's a race or a check race, whatever. If I win the hand, like I want to be able to gloat about it. It's part of like what that kind of game is in, the, in those settings. I think we're talking about matter of degrees here. On one hand, you shouldn't just like get up off your chair and do a jig and say, ha ha, look at me, I won, and just dance around the players. On the other hand, you need to kind of have a little bit of a thick skin to play this game. You're going to encounter aggression. You're going to need to handle it. Not everyone is like the quintessential polite English gentleman where it's like, good day, sir. And then they get up and they walk away when you bust them. They're not going to be like that. You know, um, 
8% of our listeners are in Great Britain. And I think we just, I think we just lost all. Pip, pip, cheerio. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. They're going to listen to this guy and they're like, capital idea. Governor. Let's, let's, let's subscribe right now. Okay. So can I explain a bit of framing that maybe explains like where I come from with a little bit of this? I, I feel like when I play sometimes with the, I guess, older guys that have been around for a long time, they, they kind of have this attitude, it seems to be like, this is how you play the game. This is what's supposed to be done, right? So if we're going to say we're studied, we know what we're doing, like we're putting a lot of effort into winning. Um, and then and then when you win a hand, it's just like, oh, well, you got lucky in that instance. Like, no, I mean, I kind of knew where I was at. I kind of knew where you were at. I made a move, like I did exactly what I should have done. I got, I got you to call whatever. I want a whole bunch of money. But what, what bothers me is um, that, sorry, I lost exactly what I was going to say. I, I know where, I know where I was going with it, but it was. Um... So I think there's enough to respond to there. So if you have a problem feeling like you ought to be able to gloat because they're attributing your win to luck, you should just let them think you're lucky. I mean, why would you educate them to make them think that you're more skilled than you are and to make them consider the fact that they may be less skilled than they think they are? Let them think you got lucky. Let them continue to make the dumb moves. Well, I, I, I want to share something. I'll give you a second in a moment. Here's the thing, okay? What you're talking about is caring about what they think. And the problem with that is, is they're not studied players. I mean, we know that. So who cares what they think? Who cares? What, you know, and, and I think that's distinctly different than the ethics. Should you be able to gloat? Sure, go ahead and gloat. But the only problem is you're gloating to people that don't even know that you made a good play. It's one thing if you're playing against, say, another studied player and you have a, a competitive nature between the two of you and gloating to that person when you pull off a good play. That's somebody who understands you just made a good play. Old man coffee doesn't know. To him, you're just a young punk that got lucky and he's going to get you eventually. Eventually, he's going to have aces and limp them and he's going to get you. <laughs> you know. So who cares what he thinks? It's not the old man coffee, it's the rule Nazi types. And it's really the dealers that make me mad. Like, maybe this should have been the podcast. It's the dealers who are like rule Nazi about everything. It's like, Jesus Christ, this is my money. Like, get out of here. <laughs> so it's really hard to quantify. But, and, and this, is, this is the problem with the discussion here is like, I always hit this brick wall is I for sure think <laughs> that there is some increased like profit to that, but you can't quantify where that comes from. You can't be like, because this guy's mad at me, like I'm winning an extra buy-in. And okay, for a long time, I thought playing in those games, like that was just the way you had to be. And that was like the winning strategy. Obviously playing all over the country, I I think maybe I I haven't played in like New Orleans. That's the only major metro area or whatever that I haven't played poker in. Like everywhere else in the country, the games are so super varied sometimes it's way more profitable to just be like the player that everyone's likes but for sure there are times where i have made some extra money and a bunch of chips because of someone like playing back at me because they don't like what's going on and it's really hard to say like how much comes from that but i i had this i had this turning point uh like a long time ago when i'm playing in georgia there was this guy well bill we call him well, I'd come down from his like super uh, well-paying job in Atlanta to settle some money with the guy who ran the game there and then come and play for a night, whether he had business in Savannah or whatever. Well, we played this one night. We played all night. Game starts at 7 p.m. And we're there at like 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning. And a couple people bust. And I think while Bill finally like busts, he loses a big hand, whatever. He goes up to the car, gets extra cash to settle up with the guy running the game, and then has 3,000 remaining. 
and is like, are we still playing? And it was me, like two other people were still there. Like we hadn't cashed out yet. Like, I guess for sure we'll still play. I ended up playing three ways till about 7 a.m. with this guy. The, the point being, Wild Bill was just bet, bet, bet. That was his standard. It was pre-flop, he'd put in a big raise. On the flop, he'd put in a big raise, he'd bet the pot in the turn, and then he'd like over bet the river. And he just liked to see people sweat. But he didn't know what he was doing. He wasn't constructed at all. He wasn't studied. But he loved the battle of just like, I've got more money than you. And if I keep going, like I'm going to get it eventually. Because he, he's making people fold. Like this one kid gets in a hand and hero calls on the turn. And Bill goes, ooh, nice call. Looks, double checks his cards and goes, oops, I actually have a straight. And he had like backdoored a straight with like jack five or something. I realized watching that hand, specifically I remember that hand, he said good call because he knew from the very beginning, I'm just punishing this kid. Like I'm just betting him into submission. So when the kid calls, he automatically is like, he didn't even know he had anymore. And then he double checked his cards because he had been drinking and he just knows as like a player who's been playing the game for a long time, like you need to make sure whether or not you hit a hand or not, like accidents can happen. And like, he wasn't thinking, oh, I hit this turn, I hit this river, whatever. And I just, I saw like, he was willing to put in a bunch of money and if I was willing to play with him, like it was more fun. He actually enjoyed it. He actually enjoyed going to war for stacks with me. And then if I could kind of like get under his skin a little bit when he wins a big pot, like he's just going to keep coming at me. And, you know, I can't say that I made $1,000 because of it, but like for sure it played a part. We're talking about ethics. And, and I never said it was unethical to needle somebody. I said when it gets to the point of bullying. So I, I want to make that clear. I, I do think that there's a certain amount of speech play and needling that is part of the game. How much? I, I'm not willing to define that. I think we all clearly know what bullying is. And when we see that at the table, it's unethical behavior. And, and all of us has a duty to protect the person who's being bullied, the dealer, the casino, the fellow players, because it's not good for the game. And that's why. I mean, even if you don't have the moral inclination, if you're a professional poker player, you want to protect the game. If you're a recreational poker player that loves this game, you want to protect the game. So wherever you fall in there, protecting the integrity of the game is important. I'm not trying to say that people shouldn't make that speech play. And, and if it comes off as that, here's the biggest thing I'll have to say about any type of needling or any type of behavior like that. All right. I, I think that it can be fun. I know that I've hurt people's feelings, people that I like and, and have had to back up on it and didn't ever mean to hurt their feelings. And in the end, the question is, is how much life EV do I give up to gain a little EV on the table? And that's what it is for me. And I'm not saying that's the same decision for everybody, but that's what it is for me. I'm very careful. I, I've become much more careful about what I say on the table and, and how I go about it. And in the end, it really boils down to sometimes life EV is more important than poker EV. I think that's a great point. Life EV is more valuable than poker EV at the time. You had mentioned a couple of things. We're talking about things that are good for the game. In general, act in a way that's good for the game. We've talked about needling. We've talked about string bets. The third biggest thing I see at the table that gets under my skin personally, and I know a lot of people have misconceptions about what it actually means is slow rolling. For me, I think what's good for the game is table your hand. If you are first to act, table your hand. If, if it's done to the river, comes a showdown, don't just sit there for 30, 45, 60 seconds. Look at your hand, look at the flop, look at the river, figure out what you have. No, 
table your hand. If you don't know what you have, first of all, you're dumb. And second of all, everyone else and the dealer will figure it out. But just lay your hand down and do it in order. I don't understand why like first to lay down, first to show doesn't show. So this gets to, I think, a crux of the conversation for me. It feels like a little for a bit now we've been talking just kind of about being a good person at the table. But when it intersects with the rules and mechanics of the game it is when, to me, it becomes a, a deeper discussion. So just for definition, slow roll is when the player who's first to show based on an action does not show and says like they have a, a losing hand just to try and get someone else to show their hand and then they show the winner. So if I'm first to show and I have top set or whatever, and I say, oh, Dell, you must have won this one. And then Dell shows his two pair. And then I go, oh, I actually have a set. Like that is by definition a slow roll. If I'm first to show and I show a set and then Dell takes forever to realize that he has a straight on like a, a board with four clubs or with four to the flush or whatever. And then he finally shows, like it happens in turn. So mechanically by the rules of the game, that's fine. If you don't like how long it took, the real problem there is you not being able to handle the fact that you lost the pot. And it just, you thought you won because he was taking a long time to turn his hand over, but it's not over until the hands are turned over, you know? So that to me is fine. The, the slow rolling when it's intentional, obviously is terrible. And I've just adopted the strategy now. If, if I am not first to show, I kind of just sit there and wait. And then people are like, I have this, I have that, whatever, blah, blah. And a lot of times I'll just look at the dealer like, come on, this is what you're paying you for. So here's an actual counterpoint. If you are a second to act, or let's say you're last to act, and you know you have the opponent crushed because you have quads, and you know they don't have a straight flush or whatever, you know they have them crushed, will you table your hand out of turn first to let them save face so they can just muck? Or will you require them to show because by the rules, they're supposed to? Well, hang on. I'm going to require them to show, but not because by the rules they're supposed to. It's because I want to see what they have. Like, I know I got them crushed. And I'm given the opportunity now to get some information or not show them what I have. Because in a lot of rooms, if they muck, then I can muck behind. Which, okay, if, we, if, we're, if I'm allowed to rant for a second, there's a couple rooms that stand by the two cards to win, like, and they're very strict about it. And I've been in a lot of positions with the nuts on the river. And the first player goes to muck their hand, and then I muck mine. And everyone's like, nope, two to win, two to win, two to win. So, well, the rule technically says the last live hand wins. But the dealer, some dealers will be like, no, you have to, you have to show your cards. It pisses me off because I, like, I played the game correctly. He's supposed to show first. He didn't want to show what he had, what he knew was a loser. Like, I'm going to reverse engineer this entire hand. And I know what cards he took his preflop action with, but now I have to show mine. And I, like, I got into a, a heated discussion with a dealer about like, how are you going to keep my cards from hitting the muck anyway? Are you going to put on a catcher's mitt and like get in between? If I pitch them right into the muck pile, like how are you going to stop them anyway? We, we are actually talking about an unethical situation here. This literally, this is like, we've talked a lot about what's good for the game. We've talked about some moral things like, like slow rolling. It's, it's not unethical. It's, it's a moral issue. You know, you're a douche if you do it, <laughs> you know, but it, it's not unethical, but we're actually talking about something that's unethical. You're talking about people saying two to show when you've already got the last live heat and there's no card room that says that if you're, if the other person folds, you've won the hand. 
what you have is people saying, oh, two to show, knowing that they've got a dealer that doesn't understand. So they're taking an unethical action to get an opportunity to see your hand, <laughs> you know, because that is underhanded. That is trying to gain an advantage by trying to see what the person played without having an actual justification to see it. Yeah, it's one of those things where the two to show was to stop somebody from showing one card you know, in order to win a hand. See, I see, yeah, I got a top pair, you know, that that's what that was meant for in every freaking room. It wasn't meant for, you know, the silliness of somebody's folded. Oh, you still have to show two cards. No. <laughs> so I, I'm actually, I'm willing to give benefit of the doubt on both sides there that I really think it's just a lot of people not knowing what the rules are and what the actual rules are. And I, I, I would disagree where it comes from. I think a lot of these rules come from the tournament arenas. And the, the difference is in a tournament, you have a ton of money on the line to someone who's in first place and multiple like friends could be playing in the same tournament. So if all three of us are 27 players left and you know about to break down to like two tables, whatever. And like, I have a huge chip stack and Dell's in the same table as me. We can make a deal that he gets 30% of my action and he dumps all his chips to me. So what he then has to do is get in a spot where we're heads up make a bunch of bets and then put in the big final bet on the river. And then I call, he mucks his hand and I get to muck and no one sees that we just had two random hands. What they had to do is show the two cards to make it look like, hey, we can be sure that they're colluding or not because we can see like what their two hands. That's why when you're all in in tournaments, both hands have to be faced up. It's a lot of these tournament rules from people that want to avoid colluding in terms. But when you get to a cash game table, if Dell dumps his chips to me in a cash game table, like, who really cares? Because we're playing with effective stats. If I'm sitting at, at 10K at the cash table and BJ's only got 500, like Dell can dump as many chips as he wants to me. It doesn't really affect the gameplay, but people think it does because they're like, well, he's got so many more chips to lose. He can go crazy and wild now. But like, they don't understand how the game is actually being played. So it doesn't, it doesn't really hit the radar that it doesn't matter. All right. So we've talked about ethics. We've talked about how it's, you want to be good for the game. We gave some examples. Uh, there aren't any tools or solutions except don't be a jerk. Be good people at the table. I'm not really sure what other takeaways we could have. I mean, Dell, do you have any other thoughts? Well, I, I think that, you know, there's a book that should be required reading. And I think for a lot of people, it has been. That's Tommy Angelo's Elements of Poker. I don't even think he uses the word ethics in there, but he does describe a lot of situations that are ethical. At the very least, he talks a lot about poker etiquette. I do understand that not everybody wants to play that way. And, and that's fine. But you can at least read it and understand why some people like myself think the way we do. All right. Jordan, do you have any final thoughts on that? I have a whole bunch of thoughts. Obviously, they're all situationally dependent. But I think, yeah, I mean, I, I've conceded a couple points uh, just to give kind of like a brief review of the history of this discussion between Dell and myself. I started out saying that I, I want to just play poker like it's the Wild West. And the players should be able to dictate the game that they're in. And if that's too much for you, like you're welcome to find another game, which I think is a fair point because casinos are spreading one, two games and you can go play with a dealer who's gonna like hold you true to the rules that are written on the wall. And the, the couple points I had to concede, the string bet is a great one. For a while, I thought like, you know what? I don't think dealers should be calling string bets because we're all mature players at two, five or five, 10, whatever, you should leave it up to me. But if it says on the wall, no string bets allowed, then for sure it falls within the responsibility of the dealer to recognize a string bet and call it out. But I still maintain that if I'm going to go choose to play 
in the basement game, then like, I want that dealer to just let me play my game. And I think that's kind of where the difference comes from. It's hard to, for me to make that point because I'm talking about playing like underground poker, which kind of gets a bad rap. But I feel like, I feel like there's a home for some of these things. And that's where it is. It's in the wild west. The floor is there to make a rule for the, and to keep the integrity of the game. And like, there's a pretty good discussion of the, the Fed or Holtz uh, three-handed spot in like the the million the huge millionaire the one that we always talk about where like he sees a card flash from this guy that no one in the poker community likes and Fedor is like I think I saw an ace and the floor is like yep you have to turn that card over and it's the ace of spades it's like he the guy the floor put no <laughs> like he didn't question anything he didn't say like let's go to the camera he was just like oh Fedor says he think he saw an ace flip that card over the guy flips over an ace and then Fedor makes the call because now he knows like he's either he's up against a huge range of ace-x play, and it happened to be like ace-queen or something and his like tens hold up against ace-queen and then he goes on to win like this huge 10 million dollar tournament but it's like the guy was standing there like this and there the way that the the seats are at the table they weren't sitting next to each other it was it was spaced out as far as possible it's like fedor maybe don't be looking at his cards maybe that's the ethical thing to do is don't be looking at his cards but the guy the guy is doing this with his hand and like leaning forward and there's like 15 hours into that and he's doing this move and then Fader's like, I think I saw an ace there. It's like, well, why are you looking? <laughs> Here's the thing, okay? I think both players were unethical, okay? I think both players were unethical. Because, no, you don't look at somebody else's card. If you can't help it, if somebody's right there, right next to you, and you look at them because you're trying to look at them to get a tell, and you see their cards, you know, and we've talked about this over and over again. You know, somebody does it once, you tell them. If they keep doing it, they keep doing it, but you still shouldn't be trying to look at their cards. You should be trying. And like you said, they're seated across the table from each other. It's not that hard not to look at his cards and still be able to look at him to see if you can get a tell. And then you have this other thing that in, in people, I, I know if anybody's listening to this, they're wondering, why do I think the guy that whose card got shown is unethical? Because he owes it to himself, the integrity of the game, to his family, to every one of his friends watching, to not let his cards be shown. He owes it to the integrity of the game. So he's in unethical. He has an ethical duty to protect his cards. Fedor has an ethical duty to not look at them. I, I think that's a really good point to end on because we've been saying, be good for the game. The game changes depending on where you are. And what's good for that game is game dependent. So what I would say is good for the game in a New York City underground location is completely different from what's good for the game at my home casino at Maryland Live. So I would say be good for the game wherever you find yourself. I mean, is that pretty much the way to go? I think I think we can leave it with the, the typical poker answer. It depends. Right? It depends. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks, Dell. Thanks, Jordan, for joining me this week. It's been great. It's always awesome, you guys. It's always. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me again. And until next week, be good for the game, whatever that means for wherever you play.